Come in, come in, and welcome to the Cave of the Eco Chamber. This is a podcast brought to you by the journalists of ENDS Report, exploring the most important environmental issues in the UK. With me, your host, James Ajapong Parsons. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing all things NFU, from Manette Batters stepping down, the new NFU president, Tom Bradshaw, and even an address by the Environment Agency's Alan Lovell, who insisted to farmers at an NFU conference he was no fool. For our deep dive, we'll be investigating the trends in financial penalties for environmental breaches in 2023 and how you and your company can stay ahead of the game in 2024. So harness up and let's enter this week's Eco Chamber! To help me on my expedition into the cave of big green news this week, I'm joined by Ends Report's news and features editor Tess Colley and Pippa Neal. Last week at the National Farmers Union Conference, President Minette Batters stood down as leader of the NFU after six years at the helm. As president, I'll remember her for being most outspoken on successive governments post-Brexit trade deals, which she always claimed were undercutting British farmers. Tess, you were at the conference this year. How was her departure received by those in attendance? Well, um, put it this way, she received standing ovations for both her opening and closing speeches. And there's also uh, spontaneous mid-speech applause when she described the the Welsh government's post-Brexit sustainable farming scheme as a red line. So I think it's fair to say she's she's been broadly very popular. We'll come back to Manette. You mentioned the, um, the Welsh sustainable farming scheme there. That is a big issue right now, isn't it, Pippa? Yes, yeah, so it's one that's even got the Prime Minister um, involved. So Rishi Sunak came out to address crowds gathered in support of Welsh farmers recently, where he said, we've got your back. Although what that means in practice is kind of up for debate. Um, basically, the reason he was there is over kind of some upset over the Welsh government's new plans for subsidy payments. Um, and there's a bit of confusion about this at the moment, but lots of people are reporting about the the kind of claim that to be eligible for the Welsh Sustainable Farming Scheme, farmers will be obliged to take out anything up to 20% of land out of food production for tree planting and habitat creation. Yeah, that 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 claim is sort of popping up around, but it's not, I was looking at this just, um, you know, recently, and it's not quite as clear as it seems, because there is this idea that they want 20% of land to be targeted or managed for tree planting and, and habitat. But um, that 10%, which is meant to be for habitat creation, it's that's meant to sit alongside food production when you read the, the full proposal they, they've laid out. And the 10% for tree planting, that's um, that's not on top of what's already there. It's sort of to make up whatever you've got, make that up to 10% of your land. And there's various exclusions being proposed. For example, if you know if your farm's on deep peat or if you're a tenanted right. farmer there's and you don't have the authority to plant trees. So there are lots of um, nuances to it, but it's been it's kind of been uh, grabbed by some people who maybe don't want to see these this green crap uh <laughs> On their, on their SFS. No, I hear, I hear it. I mean, it, it does. It, it is an interesting sort of, you know, you're taking you're taking our land, our production for food, and we're going to be, you know, food deprived for 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 nature rubbish. 
you know, paraphrasing what some of them are saying. And one of those interesting, those organisations which Rishi Sunak appeared alongside um, at the Welsh Conservative Party conference was um, Gareth Wynne-Jones, who's a big advocate of the No Farmers, No Food campaign, which is run by James Melville, mm. who is this GB News pundit. We've seen him on TV, or you may have seen him on TV, if you watch GB News. Um, and he has sort of espoused net zero conspiracy theories in the past and... Yeah, I mean, it was obviously, I, I think it was optics for Rishi Sunak to kind of jump in against Labour, Welsh Labour right now uh, at a time, but maybe he needed to rethink the optics strategy. Yeah, I, I think I agree because, you know, the Welsh government getting it, you know, hit over the head over this at the moment. So it seemed like a good thing to for the Tories to throw themselves into. But mm. the reality of the No Farmers, No Food campaign is a little bit murkier when you get into the, the weeds of it. And I'm just, I think there are lots of people, lots of farmers who... You know, got behind this this central idea of you know you, you know without farmers you, you need to respect farmers for there to be food and which nature and all, which is true you do you know uh, you do need farmers on board for all of these environmental green schemes um, but there is arguably some more nefarious uh, things going on uh, mm. in, in the background of it all like you, like you already mentioned the kind of conspiracy theories and this sort of um, anti net zero. Uh, drives actually in their manifesto in the in the appendix to their manifesto they've got a a line about you know the government's obsession with net zero and that's a quote is having a devastating impact on british farming and you know they want to push back against in their words unrealistic net zero politics interesting yeah i mean it, i mean it, you know over the, over the other side of the channel you know you're seeing all these farming protests going on in brussels you know, it's crazy that some of the pictures you're seeing, you know, burning refuse, blocking roads, you know, blocking the capital. It's, and, and this is, again, this is to do with protesting against biodiversity policies that the EU are trying to come up with. But at the same time, you're getting some groups co-opting this push and this move, which on the surface of it seems sensible to, to the public. You know, we want food, we want farmers, we want, but yeah, you're getting groups taking advantage of that sentiment and, and sort of popping up out of nowhere. And some of these groups are quite far right yeah. and have different objectives. So, you know, this isn't something we've pointed out. This is, you know, a lot of, uh, even a lot of farming consultants and, and, and those in the field are saying, you know, we've got to be careful here, folks, because we're in danger here of getting sort of take, steered down the wrong way. Um, and so, yeah, all that to say, it will be really interesting to see what happens next. On that, on that farming policy in Wales, this environmental policy, um, and this could all change, of course, because the government is in the consultation stages. But at this stage, coming up to Manette, Manette Batters, uh, I, I take it then that that red line is something that she is currently sort of, she's against the Welsh government's position on this test. Yeah, so at, at conference, she she told uh, delegates, as it stands, the SFS cannot work. And she said, this is a red line conference uh, and we will not cross it. Um, and you know, talked about, you know, then if you will sit down at the table with Welsh government and find a solution. Um, but, you know, it wasn't it wasn't just actually the Welsh government in her line of sight. It was she was kind of making a few barbed comments towards England's environmental agencies as well. OK, so who was she really sort of going for? I... 
Natural England, curiously, got got it in the neck a lot, even though they're not actually the uh, farming regulator. So that's an environment agency. The environment agency did get uh, did come in for criticism, but you know she's really she was questioning that the these watchdogs' purpose basically in a post Brexit world, saying they were put in place to manage sort of all these EU directorates and the laws that came out of that. They're not here now, so why is Natural England? Menet Batter said, you know, she's got. She said that Natural England have powers outside of government now Now that we've left the EU. Um, and there's questions to be asked about what they're doing here, basically. Bit of a sidetrack here, but did you guys watch the Liz Truss interview with Steve Bannon? I regrettably did. Yeah, I saw it's, a few clips. It's that kind of... And look, I'm not trying to compare me about this to Liz Truss here, <laughs> but that kind of like power... They've got powers beyond themselves. It's, it, it's, it's really sort of... It's current. Everyone seems to be sort of putting this yeah. this box. I thought it too in the Mangos. in a press conference at the NFU conference, like because it's really echoing some of that language we've heard from the popular conservatives, which is Truss's group, and uh, talking uh, yeah about this idea of quangos with powers mm. outside that the only government should have. And uh, I kind of yeah it pricked my ears when I when I heard it, you know. But interesting. Did it did it prick the ears of Alan Lovell? It did, I think. I think it, I think it's pretty the ears of everyone working in the agencies um, right. that we, you know, often Pippa and I talk to. Um, but yeah, he he gave a kind of keynote speech a bit later on in, in the conference, um, and he he really came out in defence of the roles of the arms length bodies. And he wasn't really what he was there for. I think it's not what his keynote was about. But he kind of got pushed on it in the questions by farmers who weren't particularly keen on. The EA, um, and you know, but he said it would be a terrible mistake to basically get rid of the EA and Natural England. We should talk about the EA in relation to sort of the farm inspection regime. It sounds like farmers weren't happy at the conference with it. Um, what what sort of did he mean by that, Pippa? Well, it's kind of no secret that the Environment Agency that is in charge of the um, inspecting farms for compliance has been kind of MIA for the most part. So. Uh, a statistic that's often quoted is that a farm business in England can expect to receive a visit by the Environment Agency once every 263 years. But at the conference, Alan Lovell um, said that in 2022 and 2023, the Environment Agency had a target of 4,000 farm inspections, um, which he said has been reached. He also showed that in that same time period, 5,477 improvement actions were agreed. So this means that for every EA visit, there's roughly one and a bit actions agreed between the EA and the farming business. Um, And these are mostly centred on farming failures to separate clean and dirty water, leaking slurry stores, silage clamps, or a lack of nutrient management plan and soil testing. So I hear he brought some great, a great set of slides tests to the conference. He did. There there were slides involved, Um, which, you know, why not? illustrate your keynote with slides did the slides go down well? Um, well not not entirely i mean he um well he started talking and it was all very re- relatively amiable and then he got on and he kind of uh introduced the introduction of a part of the keynote which was about water pollution river pollution and he said himself you know he's coming on now to what might be quite an uncomfortable slide and this slide basically showed that um the sectors responsible for river pollution. Um, it's not really. It's not actually the water companies who are who are the the worst offenders. It's the agriculture. It's farming. They're at forty percent kind of 
causation um and then 36 percent the water companies and you know that he was presenting this to a room full of <laughs> farmers uh, and so i can see why he might have thought i might you know not go down but an important message i suppose to send and what, what he was sort of saying if i can paraphrase his whole keynote um was you know we are trying to the what he sort of was saying, if I can paraphrase his whole keynote, was the Environment Agency uh, is trying to improve in certain ways. It's trying to um, make its farm inspectors more aware of the, the, the impact inspections have on, on farmers themselves. But they need to, farmers need to take their medicine, um, mm. <laughs> in his words. And he'll, the, the EA will take theirs on flood management, which is another big issue that was being talked about. Um, but he needs the agricultural industry basically to step up on, on water pollution. Um, yeah. Why did he need to clarify to the audience that he wasn't a fool? <laughs> well, I think this was, it was, this came in at the end of, of the speech. Um, he kind of circled back to farm inspections, some of the tougher approaches that the regulator needed to take sometimes, um, having laid out various other positive things that the EA is doing around like kind of trying to find ways to measure soil health and that sort of thing. And then he said, you know, but to conclude, I am not a fool. <laughs> there are times when you will not like the EA. Uh, and he went on to say, it's our role to be good stewards of the environment and public money. And that means our decisions about how we spend money, for example, on managing watercourses will not always align with what you think we should do. So that's, that's why I don't think, well, I am no fool. It, it was quite a, a dramatic, it's what, it's what the ENDS report led with on oh, one of our articles. Um, I clicked on it. Well, well, you know. <laughs> um, but I thought it was this niche because I guess you turn up to do a keynote like that and uh, you obviously you're trying to put the positive spin, you know your audience, uh, but it was that moment of like, you know, I know you don't like us quite a lot of the time. Mm. That's what he was nodding to. One of those points which they're not very liked on at the minute um, is flood management, which is the Environment Agency's sort of primary core function. You know, how how was that received at the conference, Tess? Yeah, I mean, he's not, I wouldn't say that he is on the top of any farmer's Christmas card list. <laughs> um, I mean, Beth has actually said herself when he sort of kind of came came to the Q&A session that, you know, he'd, he'd come into the lion's den, but she was, she did thank him. <laughs> thank him for doing so. <laughs> thank you for dinner. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I mean, as for flooding, the context of this is that the last sort of the three months at the end of 2023 were the wettest apparently mm. that England has seen since 2000 um, and the third wettest since 1871. Um, facts. Facts, important. Um, but the really... This, you know, a wet winter means you've got some very, very flooded fields and that means loss of income for farmers. Uh, and some farmers are sort of expected to, to hold water on their land to prevent flooding of, uh, of homes sort of further downstream. And this was a repeated theme of the conference was a call for farmers to be paid uh, mm. for storing water on their land um, as, it, as it's, you know, calling it a public good using right. the language of the environmental land management schemes mm. um, there. But what, you know... Level essentially said was the EA would and could support flood storage areas where farmers allow their fields to flood in that circumstance, but um, only where it's, it seems to be as an appropriate part of flood risk management solutions, um, which all adds up to mean that he said there wouldn't be public flood money available um, on farms that are on natural floodplains. Right. Um, and that's. That wasn't 
Good. Well, they didn't like. No, they no like. They they don't really like. Well, I think you can see why maybe because and that those are the areas which are most likely to flood. Obviously, right. mm-hmm. um, I suppose some say why you know it's like don't build on a floodplain if you don't want to be flooded. Don't farm on a floodplain, but I don't think it's always as simple as that. Um, and you know, a lot of the year we you know would like to see farmers farming in various places. So uh, yeah, it's not it's not a simple thing. And Lovell, you know, he wasn't just going after the farmers, was he, Pippa? Yeah, so he also used his speech to kind of point out that while farming does account for 40% of England's river pollution, he emphasised that water companies have also been appalling, was his word. Um, And he he pointed out that it's thought that wastewater from sewage treatment works is responsible for about 36% of England's river pollution. So just a little bit less than farming, but still a huge amount. Um, And it was interesting because prior to his speech, um, the government had actually announced that the number of inspections on water companies is set to increase fourfold um, in order to hold these companies to account. Um, And in effect, this is going to see, according to the government, um, 4,000 inspections next year by the Environment Agency and 11,000 the year after that um, in an aim to restore the position to something like what it was before the cuts at the beginning of 10 to 15 years ago. Um, according to Lovell. We did start with the news that Minette Batters, NFU president, was stepping down. We haven't spoken about her replacement. Uh, Can you just tell me who's taking over the reins? Yes. So Tom Bradshaw, who has previously served as both the NFU vice president and deputy president, will now be taking the helm. Um, And in a statement, he said that profitable production will always be his priority. And while that is currently a difficult time for agriculture, it's also a time of great opportunity. Um, And in his statement, which was sent to NFU members, which make up around 46,000 farmers, he said in the run up to the general election, we have the overwhelming support of the public and all political parties must make a plan in place for homegrown food. He also said he wants to focus on forging ever closer connections with the NFU and the members. Um, And he said, my message to our membership is simple. This is your organisation. We need to hear your views and we need your input. United, we are a powerful voice. Bradshaw also thanked the outgoing president, Manette Batters, for her years of dedication to the NFU, which he said has led to outstanding successes. Yeah, I will will miss Manette popping up on my Channel 4 news screen, BBC (laughs) interviews every so often (laughs) bon voyage Manette on to our moment of the week and we're going to blend it with the deep dive because N's report has a very special report that's looked at the trends in financial penalties and the costs of pollution punishments for last year Uh, we've looked at the shifts the swings how companies should be looking to navigate their business for this year too um, to help me tackle the numbers, I'm joined by Ends Reports editor, Jamie Carpenter. Uh, so we're going to jump into our moment of the week stroke, deep dive. Um, Jamie, as for our moment of the week, how can folks read these sort of special reports? Well, this this is a new um, offering we have. That it's um, the first of a set of market reports. So... Um, there, there are a couple of ways you, you can get hold of it. You, you can either essentially buy it as a one-off standalone product or um, existing subscribers can can um, inquire about including it as part of their package. So there's details on the on the website. So it's um, endreport.com forward slash market reports. So you can find out more about it. 
I mean, it is really good. It's a fantastic compendium there. Can you start by giving our listeners sort of an overview of what ENS has found? Yeah, well, I mean, this this is, um, as you say, it's a, it's a huge piece of research. So it's a massive analysis of um, environment agency data on um, prosecutions and enforcement undertakings. Um, and, and there were some really interesting trends that, that came out of that. Um, the first one um, is that financial penalties for environmental breaches are getting getting bigger. So um, the, the analysis shows that the the size of the medium fine has gone up by 270% over the last 10 years or so. So that, that means, you know, I guess in real terms, in 2014, the, um, the, the median penalty was £13,500 and that's gone up to around £50,000 in 2023. So big a numbers. big jump. Big, yeah, big numbers. I mean, and I should say the, these are prosecutions in England that are, we, we look just at, businesses and not individuals so so it's um it's we're not talking about sort of other other nations in the uk and we're not talking about individuals but it's really interesting for um organizations operating in this space um and one one of the other key findings again another, another thing going up is is costs so um offenders are being asked to make bigger contributions to the ea's costs if you look there at the median average um Cost per prosecution have nearly doubled between 2014 and 2022. So they've risen from around £4,700 to well over £14,200. Okay. So to me, that sounds like there's more money, presumably means more prosecutions. Not exactly. No. So, I mean, so these are, these are median figures. So it's, it's basically the middle number in a range of figures um but actually when when you look at prosecutions and and, and we we've talked about this a lot on the um podcast before but they they've basically just completely collapsed over um a number of years now so so um from from a from a peak in 20 2008 they've they've just fallen away so um fallen by nearly 80% between 2013 and 2022 um and and that's in the context of the fact we're not. That's not because pollution's got better over that time. The the um, serious water, serious water and serious pollution incidents, sewage pollution, haven't dipped in the same way. They they've kind of stayed the same. Um, and there's, so there's there's not there's not really more money. And, and and I think it's kind of interesting at the moment with this um, fairly new policy around the water restoration fund. So this idea that money being raised from fines goes to um, essentially projects to clear up water pollution um so that that that's been in the news the last week that fund because um apparently it does not exist yet and there's no no timetable and and the steering group set up to uh oversee it hasn't hasn't met yet so um so regardless of how much more money is coming into the into that pot it doesn't seem like it's going to be going out anytime soon okay so with what we do know of where what money we have got now What's been the the sort of the main driver for that upward that upward spike of you know financial penalties? Yeah, well, well, I guess there's um, there's a couple of things I guess to unpick there. What one is one is why why are these why are we seeing kind of very very big fines now? We didn't see that, so that so there have been a few really big ones recently, like um, Southern Water was ninety million pounds, which is mad, isn't it? Like is tens huge. of millions of pounds for police. Yeah, events. so we are seeing. Although, although I guess there are fewer fewer fines, we are seeing 
bigger fines like like that. And and one one of the reasons for that is um, the sentencing guidelines. So the, these are basically, I think they're issued. I think it was in twenty fourteen. Um, and basically, that they they basically are telling, giving judges guidance on how much fines should be based on um, things like how how severe the pollution was. Um, sort of how culpable the the firm was and and um, what what the size of the company was. So so people we speak spoken to say well, so experts legal experts they say well that that was that we did see a jump in the size of the fines being issued after that. And then um, that then sets precedents for other yeah, judges for judges and, and judges are becoming kind of more confident in using those guidelines uh, and they 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 seem to be taking an increasingly dim view on pollution. So. Um, so I think that means that the same offence now is likely to get a bigger fine than it was five, ten years ago. And you know, we're, we're not. It's not just the sort of the multi-million pound fines for water companies. Um, when you look at the sort of the detail for you know some of the smaller businesses operators, what's the sort of the main driver for the financial penalties they're receiving? Yeah, well, well, um, it's kind of interesting looking into the detail of that. So, so we we have we we, we when you look at the, the um, payouts that um, have been secured by the EA since since uh, twenty thirteen, so over the last ten years, then there are, there are more than a thousand of those. I mean, a lot of them, um, more than seventy percent, are, are basically around not following the right environmental permitting regulations. So, so some of those will be water companies, but water companies are only a they're an important kind of proportion of those um, those organisations, but there are a lot of other organisations like waste firms, etc. Um, so, so when when you, when you look at that eight hundred thirty eight figure, the bulk of the offences are actually firms that are operating outside of a permit and or in breach of a permit condition. So that actually makes seven hundred sixty of those eight hundred thirty eight cases. So right. So when it comes to the majority of offences, we are literally talking about failure for environmental permitting regulations, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And I think I think um, you, you mentioned a little while ago about sort of smaller smaller firms. So so, so some of those breaches will, will, will basically be around people, I don't know, like maybe like an independent petrol garage. They might not always know what to do to to comply with those regulations. So, so there, there is kind of um, an issue around... Um, Regulations being quite difficult to follow, especially if you're not you're not a large organisation that have the resources to invest in trying to understand how to how to comply and, and follow these things. Um, so, so that, I mean that that's one thing. I mean we we did as, as part of the report we did put together a an element of that that was was looking specifically around how do what what are the pitfalls that businesses should look out for and um, how should they protect themselves from from i guess essentially sort of ending up on the wrong side of the law um so so and and, and one of those that um one of the kind of key areas around that is is this kind of um i guess kind of being really careful about who you do business with so the kind of duty of care kind of rules so so we looked at um a, a particular prosecution which was um goes back to 2019 so so this is a, a a plant nursery in Colchester um, called Walsh and Sons, and they had paid out £25,000 to a firm called Callahan's Cleaning Services to clear their site. And then that firm then subcontracted the job to a skip company 
Um, unfortunately, that waste was then fly tipped at a farm. Um, there are some kind of there's, there's a really interesting photo showing that, like, literally the kind of mountains of waste that were were fly tipped, which is um, it's mega. It's it, yeah, it's a mega photo of some. Oh, it's terrible. It is Absolutely awful. Terrible. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, what was interesting in, in, in that is that in the end, the judge found that the company Callahan's, which had employed the skip company to take the waste, they'd failed in their duty of care to check if that company was registered to carry waste. And they also failed to ask where the waste would be taken or, or completed any transfer of waste papers. Callahan's were fined. They had to pay £6,000. Together, it cost nearly £3,000. Um, and the garden nursery, Walsh and Sons, they were also ordered to pay as well. So even though... They weren't the ones that contracted the skip hire company. They still. It's a bit unfair to me. I feel like they got done dirty. Did the did the did the fly tippers get um, penalised? Um, I mean, basically, um, they they ended up getting away with it scot free because because they weren't these waste transfer notes. They just were able to to escape being being traced and and so yeah so 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 I, I guess. Although it might seem unfair that you, you have these regulations that um, do trip people up, so so even yeah, you, you just need to be really really clear where your waste is going. You know, make sure you have a paper trail. Um, otherwise, you can. And that's that's a significant fine for nursery firm. It's like thirty three and a half thousand pounds, which is cool. quite quite steep. So it's a cautionary tale, then, listeners. Indeed. Um, but most waste operators are not like that rogue. Fly tipping company. Um, there are others, you know, they're well-meaning waste firms that they do breach their permits. Um, you sort of alluded to it earlier, but like, was is there anything in the special reports that sort of explain why so many operators, where they have failed, have failed on their permits? Well, yeah, I mean, there's there 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 are kind of um, sort of lots of reasons. I mean, I mean, I think as you say, a lot a lot of firms are are well-meaning and and. They they're not doing this on purpose. I think you, um, there are some cowboys out there like these fly tippers who who have um, managed to uh, evade the law. But um, I mean, some something that that was pointed out to us that um, you, you do you do sometimes find waste operators being um, asked to take on more waste than they're allowed to take under the terms of their permits, and because because it's quite marginal in terms of profitability. Um, there, there, there might, there might be some perverse incentives going on there, so so that um, the fees to take in waste are quite attractive, um, and actually compared to, well, especially compared to the, what you might get for treating and sending waste waste on, which well, and those fees are um, negligible. So, so, so you do you do um, find that there may be a temptation for for firms in that position to kind of say yes and take that waste, but then if they do. If they do get caught, then um, they may be in trouble for that. So what you're saying then, it's it's just about sticking to capacities, and that's all you can really do. Well, yeah, for for that kind of thing, I mean, yeah, I mean, the most it's the most basic step to stay compliant is just don't breach a permit. I mean, it sounds it sounds obvious, but um, it's kind of fairly pr- pretty good advice from um, the experts we spoke to. Um, so and and I suppose part of that is. Um, making sure that that companies have staff, or make sure that their staff are sufficiently trained and 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 and, and monitor those staff to make sure that they're actually upholding the terms of their permits, the letter of the law. Um, you, you can make sure 
one way to do that if, if you can afford to is to um have advisors to 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 help you with that um making sure that you've got insurance policies to to um guard against um issues and then and then also um kind of look at looking ahead to kind of understand what the environment agency is going to be be looking for in future and and keeping tabs on its on its movement so um yeah so there's lots of things you can do if you subscribe to end report then um that will definitely help you have information that uh, might might help you on the way a little bit good plug good plug um, i hope it was a seamless effortless plug seamless no one noticed it no they, shame. Won't. they won't <laughs> um I suppose we, we ought to talk about briefly the sort of the civil sanctions that the Environment Agency has taken, yeah. which is a different avenue um, of penalisation. You know, what's the EA been doing there? Yeah, well, that, that's that's an interesting question. So um, for a number of years, we've been talking about how the EA has, has kind of been relying on enforcement undertakings, almost more than fines to deal with serious pollution incidents. And... Um, See, you see a lot of them for packaging waste offences, but but also um, for um, quite a lot of water companies being being um, paying out a lot of money to local good causes for for pollution incidents. So um, so that, that that seemed to be a trend for a while. But over the last couple of years, we've actually seen the um, the use of civil sanctions drop quite a lot. So um, th- there was a high of seventy six civil sanctions enforcement undertakings in twenty twenty one, and they 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 fell to a low of thirty three. In 2022, which was the the second lowest since their creation in back in 2012, so and and that, and that then kind of follows through to the amount of money that's been um, been paid to uh, good sort of charitable local charities. So um, if if you look at the aggregate figure um, between those two years, it's fallen from 3.9 million to 1.4 million. So um, is there is there any reason? I mean. Can we say why the EA would be doing this? Well, um, I mean, there, there is, there is. This is obviously kind of against the backdrop of of resourcing problems at the agency, so that that might be part of it. Um, I think that there, there's also it's also possible that the um, there there is there's been a kind of change in in approach, and um, so clearly we've had this like massive fury over the last couple of years now around sewage and water companies getting it in the neck for for doing bad stuff and and um i think that there was under the previous leadership of the EA where there was um, quite an interesting um line from Emma Howell Boyd the former chair in um the forward to um one of their performance reviews or performance reports on water companies and she 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 i can't remember the exact wording but she's basically saying that um, what we've been doing hasn't Failed. worked. It's like we, we've been trying this kind of nicely, nicely approach with these enforcement undertakings, and actually the water companies are just carrying on polluting. Yeah. And I think since then we've we've kind of seen less of them. Um, mm, interesting. I mean, I do remember reading press releases about how great a water company has given this charity, X charity, X many tens of thousands of pounds, failing to mention that this was because of the pollution incident of the civil enforcement undertaking that they'd done in the first place. So I do. I do remember thinking, "Oh, this is some strange press." Um, but you know, um, yeah, no. I, and, and Emma Howard Boyd for sure. Um, I do remember. I do remember that report, um, which is, I think, maybe a, a strong admittance, which we often don't see um, from leaders. We probably should we talk about VMPs? Let's talk about VMPs. Yeah, 
Okay, variable monetary penalties. Um, speaking about former leaders, you know, this was something that the Environment Secretary, Renald J. Wadena, sort of put forward as a big headline-grabbing announcement when he was briefly our Environment Secretary. Um, but, you know, they're not really that new, are they, Jamie? They're not new, no. They've, they've actually been around for, for quite a long time, um, but they've they've been quite quite <laughs> under wraps so they so they, they've barely been used so they they, they have been um they have been like a, a tool in the uh environment agency's armory um but they so they've been around since 2008 but they, there's only actually been a handful of them issued so far and i think that's that's partly because up until some changes that were made very very recently following um Reynold Jawardner's um announcement um so legacy of his uh 39 days or whatever it was as an environment secretary cool. um so so they've now there've been a few changes so what one one was that they they the size of the penalty was capped at 250,000 that that cap has gone so in theory penalties are unlimited the the other change was that they they weren't previously um able to be used for environmental permitting offences and now that's changed so um and it has been kind of presented as a a way to kind of whack water companies with massive fines, but actually that extension to the environmental permitting regime means that there's a lot of other businesses mm. that could potentially be liable to these new, new, well, new old penalties, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I was reading, like, including sort of some of the, the, you know, the intensive agriculture sector. So, you know, talking about pigs and poultry, if they hit mm. certain quotas, which I thought was a big deal, especially when we talk about water pollution, energy companies, um, yeah. yeah, it's going. It's, it's you know, it's going to be really interesting to see see what happens with them. Um, I mean, I have to ask at the moment, you know, who's the biggest offender of a VMP? It is actually Water Company. Um, so Anglian Water got um, one hundred fifty thousand pound fine or penalty under under the uh, from a VMP, but that that was actually under the um, Salmon and Freshwater Fisheries Act of nineteen seventy five. So that's a different regime. So what happened was. There, the um, the firm. What happened there was that contractors unblocked a sewer in in Bedfordshire, um, and that in turn caused a small rural wastewater treatment plant to to become overwhelmed and and resulting into to sewage being discharged into the River Till. And um, there, there wasn't a fish kill recorded, but ammonia levels were high. Um, so obviously, kind of a dangerous pollution incident. So you mentioned the Salmon and Freshwater Fisheries Act. We're now seeing the um, VMPs extended over to um, environmental permitting regulations. So that's where we'll exactly. see them coming down the line. Like, before we go, uh, is there a danger that these might become um, too draconian in their use? I, I guess at the moment it's, it's kind of it's a bit early to to tell. So that those those reforms have only been in in place for a few months. I mean, what what, what lawyers are telling us is that. If if the the environment agency notices it notifies them of an intent to issue one of these penalties that they they need to respond very very quickly and 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 that's because alleged offenders have only twenty eight days to make written representations raise a defence or, or make a discharge payment so pretty swift you need to respond swiftly um, and and I guess that there, there there are some questions around whether that's kind of enough time to to respond for for some companies. And if you want to read our in-depth special report on the trends of financial penalties to help protect your business, um, visit endsreport.com forward slash market reports. Market reports.
And that's it. We've come to the end of this week's Eco Chamber, folks. Um, my thanks to Tess Colley, Pippa Neal and Jamie Carpenter for coming on to this week's episode to help me get to grips with the biggest issues of this week and help your businesses navigate 2024. We would love to hear from you listeners with your thoughts, your views, your heresies, your conspiracies, your opinions. Um, I really would like to hear them. So email us ecochamber at haymarket.com or on our socials using the hashtag ecochamber. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and maybe even share it with a friend. Until the next time, take care.